Welcome in, everybody, to another happy edition of Sad Times. My name is Kevin. I'm just kidding. This won't be happy. Appreciate you joining us today. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, Sad Times is a show in which uh, every week we have a guest on uh, who tells his or her story about times they were sad, upset, struggled, they were emotional, kind of how they acted, how the people around them who loved them acted, and kind of just kind of share the story without any hope of fixing it or anything like that, but just the hope of saying, hey, I went through X, Y, and Z. Uh, Maybe you out there who are listening, you know, went through the same thing too. So that's kind of the basic premise of the show. Today, we have another returning champion, uh, one of the greats. And as you're listening to this on February the 14th, it's the day before uh, we'll get to it, a very momentous anniversary. Uh, And I just like to say, If you're listening to this, you're probably me, and it's the morning of February 14th, and you're the only one listening, and you're really pissed that you're saying ah and um a lot, and I'm just here to tell you, you should be pissed, and you need to do better, Kevin. Okay, great. Thanks for listening. Uh, All right, so without further ado, let's get to our returning guest, and I believe he was like episode eight or nine-ish, the great... And I mean great. John's here. Hi, John. Hi. How you doing, Kevin? Oh, my God. Your voice is amazing. Ooh. Yeah. I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Doing good. Feeling good. Feeling okay and okay. <laughs> sounds so cheesy. I was going to say okay is good enough. Okay is true. good enough. Is it, though? It is. It has to be. It I, better yeah. be. It damn well better be. Uh, well, I mean, as, as this is uh, dropped, uh, this drops two days. I mean, what a Super Bowl. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, man, just uh, all the points and all the... the Non-points. Right, and then the non-points and then the uh, the, the maybe touchdowns and I, kicks. They did yeah, kick they the were, ball. Yeah, they kicked. Well, we got to keep, you know, football. You know, this is the only football there right. is in the world. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no, this comes out on the 14th of February. And why I keep talking about that is, uh, let me make sure I have this right, John. On the 15th of February, 2003... Uh, was the last time you had a drink of alcohol. Is that right? Yeah. Although it can be a little confusing because I was arrested at midnight. So I guess you could technically say it was the 16th. And then I didn't really actually go to like any formal like rehab services to like the 18th. So I, I stretch out the celebration over three days just to milk it as much as I can. Oh, do you have enough beer for the three days? <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Oh, okay. No, I don't. But I do like giving it away. Like, uh, I do like celebrating, which is very confusing for people. Like, I want to go out and, like, I, like, have this idea of, like, celebrating it and having people party. And people are like, well, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I got sober so that you could have fun. Mm-hmm. Like, you then don't have to look over uh, over me. That's what you're celebrating. Like, we don't have to take care of Dooley anymore. So, boom, well, have fun. The, the best part, though, one of the best parts uh, was, especially the year that, that you did decide to get sober, you basically kind of lived with my roommate and I, in a way. And so, we would just get drunk, and you didn't have anywhere to go anyway. So, it was great. It, it was, was perfect. It was good. We had a good old time. <laughs> and um, you said a lot there. Uh, so, let's back up for a second. You said arrested. You said midnight. You said, you know, the next three days. Now, you weren't drinking when you were arrested, were you? No. No. Okay. Let's back up. When we say arrested, we mean a DUI. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. And what had, <clears throat> excuse me, what had happened that day? Like, was it just a normal, I don't even remember what day of the week it was. It was a Saturday. Okay. And I, I started drinking at around 10. 
and uh, and then you know I drank for yes okay mm-hmm. and I drank for you know fourteen hours and I I got a handle of gin not a fifth like like a like a one of those uh, jugs you know mm-hmm. that you get mm-hmm. at like the. I don't even remember the sizes. It's just a one point seven five, I believe, is what they're called. There you go. Yeah, I don't know if it's healthy. I don't think one person's supposed to drink that volume of out. Like that's kind of like obscene. Did you drink that all that day? Mm, uh, I want to say most of it. Now, here's where I get confused: is because when I got the car back, the bottle wasn't in there, and I was like, "Is that because I finished it, or was that because the cops took it away?" But there really wasn't much left in uh, the bottle. Now that is true, yeah, because I had started to drink beer, and there's no reason I would start to drink beer unless I was low on that on alcohol. The, and you were afraid of running out of it, but you had beer, right? And this is so. This is probably Seagram's gin you're talking about, old yes. bumpy face, as That's they call right. it. That's what it is. That's what I, I used, used to, to get. I you used, remember? Yeah, I love. I do love me some Seagram's gin. Um, so you start drinking at 10 a.m. Now, call me crazy here, John, but I bet somehow sports were involved. It was. SIU was playing Bradley, and they blew a 17-point lead. Southern was going for an at-large berth. It was a huge game, and they blew it, and I was so pissed. And I just kept drinking the whole day. And then I went to my buddy's place, and he asked me like four times before I left because it started to hail. It was a hailstorm. And this was, was like it at really like, a hailstorm. It was a it started yeah. hailing outside. Okay, and so it was like eleven thirty p.m. and we were at the old Lewis Park Apartments down in Carbondale, and um, he's like, "Are you sure you don't need a ride?" And it was not like that was not normal for my buddy to keep asking me that. It was like he knew. It was like a scene in a movie. It was like he knew what was coming. Yeah, and it was like the after school special. Like you know, <laughs> are you sure you need you know? And I was like. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then it was like hailing, hailing by the time I got outside. I do vaguely remember that. And then I was listening. And I also remember I was listening to Out on the Tiles by Led Zeppelin. You're damn right you were. (laughs) And and I was going down the street in front of the rec center. Um, Oh, wow. Wall? No, that's not wall. Um, I don't don't remember. Brent, do you know what street that is? Thanks for everything, Brent. <laughs> I don't remember what don't, it is. But I, I started either. driving from Lewis Park towards South Illinois, which uh-huh. is 51. You so know. it's not just a clever name. Right. Park? Park? Was it, was park? it park? God, that doesn't sound right. I don't know. Well, we'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to Southern <laughs> Illinois University history. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jeff. I drive in front of the rec center and I just was like, you can't do that. It's like one of the most busy intersections right before you get down to the town strip. On like a Friday night, a Saturday night at like midnight when everybody's out and I didn't see this car in front of me. And before I knew it, there was smoke in my car. I had hit the car in front of me. I had gone onto the, um, you know, it's going to sound weird to people that I'm like laughing through this because like drinking and driving is not funny. Like, yeah, we're not, not, we're not condoning it. Yeah. Um, I could have seriously hurt people multiple a lot of times uh, yes. due to some poor decision making on my on my behalf and um i'm lucky the people in front of me nobody had to go to the hospital or at least as far as i know were they like at a curb or were they at a light they were at that stop there was a crossing remember where yeah. students could cross uh-huh. from where the where the towers were to where the rec center is and yeah. there was a cro- a walking cross where uh-huh. you had to stop and oh, i just was okay. like jamming out on the tiles in a hailstorm okay sorry yeah and i was losing it right yeah and so i just didn't see it i whoo and then i you know and it was bad and then 
I remember the cop pulling me over, and the, the pull, cop didn't pull me over. What am I talking about? I was stopped. There was a cop sitting there, <laughs> There was right? a cop already there. Yeah. Because it's the most busy intersection in the town at that time. Where, where were you going? Were you going to your girlfriend's? I was picking right? up a girl from Club Traz. <laughs> I just did a spit take in the studio, just a little. Uh, I was picking up this girl from a, from a, from a, she was out with her friends, and uh, I was going to go pick her up. And um, so I, I wound up crashing the car. The The cop was literally right there. I mean, across the street from where I was, there's a student parking lot that's right there. Right. It was just sitting there and yeah. like literally didn't even have to drive there. Thank you, Grand Avenue. Um, <laughs> Grand Avenue is the name of the street. And walks across the street and goes license and registration sh sh like shines the light in my face yeah and i remember being like i because i had an open i had like an open bottle so this is another reason why i'm not sure if i was drinking or not there's an there was an open bottle it was open of, of gin that was next to me in the passenger seat is this different than the the, the big one or that's the, the same big one. one same, same one. one i've been okay. carrying with me mm -hmm. all day yeah uh, but there wasn't a lot left of it which was probably which is what led to all this uh-huh and so it's in the passenger seat, and then I'm on there, and he looks at me and says, license and registration, please. It's amazing, by the way, that I can get these little details out of all this. Because well, I rarely blacked out, by the way. I only you? blacked out maybe once in my entire life. Really? Yes. Now, I am i don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but John Dooley, would, you would drink. Yes, I would drink a long, long – so I would drink for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. would go take blocks. When people would love to like go out and rage for four to five hours – I was more about the epic 14 to 16 hour. Which this is turning out to be. Right. Yeah. And um, he, I remember him putting the, I just remember the feeling of, dude, like, we don't have to do this. You're like, okay, I get it. I like, I'm, in, I'm busted. Like, don't even like, what are we doing? Uh -huh. Just get me out of the car, bring me to the station. And like, you don't, I, I was like, you really need my license and registration. Cause the, remember the SIU, like police place was like a block behind the rec center. Oh, that's right. So he literally could have walked out of his car, grabbed me, walked me over there. Like pick a top worst place to like have this offense take place. And I did it. But it was hailing, John. Right. It was that it was hailing. And um, and so it was a little slippery, I think. I don't know. That was my little excuse. And um, and so and that was it. And then I was like, I remember the feeling of you know, I knew from the time that I was like 19 that I had like a drinking problem. Just just so we can clarify, you're 22 at this I was point when this at happens. This time, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. I knew I knew from the time I was 19 that I was like, all right, I should probably do. I need to do something about my drinking. And then I had tried to stop drinking by myself like three different times. How long did you? How how did that? Like, how long did that last? I got one time I was able to get like a month, actually. We were doing a show together and I got in trouble and I was like, I'm going to stop, you know, uh -huh. I'm going to get my shit together. And so I did for, uh, uh, you know, I got a month. Did you feel at the end, near the end of that month before you start drinking again, did you feel like a, a, a newfound clarity or like hope? No, no. It, you just really wanted to drink. Somewhere? I just wasn't drinking for the moment. I knew I was just trying to be responsible and you know because i was in a show and i wanted to be responsible to the cast and i knew that if i i was the type of drinker where if i drank mm -hmm. it affected me my the life around me 
Some people, most people, not some, most people drink. It doesn't affect the life around them. They have a normal life. They can go home and have a couple beers or like, I just, I knew, so I inherently knew from the time that I was 19 that I could not handle my drinking and that the only way that I could handle it was by not doing it at all. There was no like, no oh, well, I just need to do like two or three, like I just didn't, I just did not have the ability to do that. And cause I tried multiple times and it just never worked for me. Um, so I got that month and it was like, just kind of a countdown. I was like, you know, this isn't going to work. This is insane. Like, I remember thinking to myself, cause it was towards the end of the year, like, you're really not going to drink Thanksgiving weekend. Like, are you out of your mind? It's Thanksgiving weekend. You're going back to your hometown. Everybody goes to the bar. Like, yeah, I, I, I thank you for saying that because I think in what we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, things like that are really kind of what do you want to call it? Not even traps, but like those those things are hard to get around, right? Yeah. If you if you are trying to get sober, right. and I know we'll come back to that um, because yeah, I've I've had these. I remember talking to you in 2005. Uh, I was on tour and I was pumping gas somewhere out west. I don't know where, and uh, like west of Aurora. I mean, like Utah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, I. Uh, I called you and I was like, I don't know if I should do something about this. And, you know, I talked to you about it and you said, well, you know, uh, with drinking, I just didn't have any hope. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So you get, you're thinking to yourself, just get me out of the car, take me to the station. Are you yeah. feeling shame? Like, what do you, are you, are you, you were pretty drunk. Yeah, I was pretty drunk, but I'll tell you, and this is 100% true 20 years later. I, same feeling today that I had 20 years ago. The second, the second the absolute moment that those cuffs were clicked on me, it was over. It the, was you over mean drinking. the sound of the click on the cuffs. I heard the click and I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I, I cannot, I cannot, I don't have it. Like I, I, I just don't have, I was so, exhausted. I was so sick and tired of screwing everything up around me. I felt like I just was a big F up at everything that I did. I would let people down in the shows that I was in. I'd make promises to people with jobs and I like wouldn't show up to the job, letting down my family. I just felt like I was just constantly letting people down. And like, it was like my out. It was almost like it was this weird like, I can't do this anymore. I'm devastated, this grieving part. And then there was this other part, it's not very big, but they did exist of like relief of yeah. like, I don't yeah, have to do this. Yeah. Anymore. I think I like, I think I'm done, man. F this man. Like, but it was like clear. It was like crystal. And, um, now not like crystal, right? No, no, no. But you know, like people, like there's people who have you hear stories of someone who says, you know, I'm done. I'm never doing this again. And then yeah. like two days later, they're, they're like doing their drinking or they're using their drug again. Like, so I know people would hear that and be like, okay, John, yeah, that's cool. That's great. Like, not, that doesn't really yeah. matter. But like in that moment, to me, it was like, that's it. Like, I can't do this he, anymore. He, he didn't even breathalyze you in the car, did he? No, 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 no. Because no, we did that outside. It was, yeah, was, I don't even remember. I feel like you did it. Okay. So I don't want to get in the way of the story. So you get arrested you get the handcuffs put on you yeah were you put in the car 282 was the bac by the way bac but 282 i thought yeah. it was 282 yeah 
Jesus, that's a, that's like three and a half times the legal limit. Yeah, it's close to the point three is when you're unconscious, apparently, or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, you're damn right. It's a good thing you didn't yeah. hurt anybody. I know. Here's what's and here's what's screwy. Yeah, so I was a little gone, uh-huh. but like I was like semi-functional, which meant that my tolerance level at that point was so high, was extremely high. Yeah, yeah. Did you have beer in the car with you, no. or you were drinking beer at your friends? Yeah, my and friends. then you left. Okay. Yeah. So what you then you get pro it was a processing yeah it was or? a pro and then it was so like it's so so I love <laughs> so some people like they go to like these rehab places and they tell their story and they're like really dramatic and sometimes I kind of feel like people are like playing stuff up or they're like adding stuff I'm like I don't know that doesn't I don't know did that really happen mm-hmm. like for me mine's so like depressing and sad and so ordinary that like i try to keep it as honest as i can. i'm like this is what happened they handcuffed me to a chair because they didn't have enough space I, I had a couple people in the holding cells so i was there in like a like a chair like this just cuffed to the chair they were i was so i was like bawling crying they mm-hmm. were like oh my god this guy is such a dope oh he looks so sad they were like he's not going anywhere he is no threat to anybody they just handcuffed me to a chair and put me in while the actual like people that were like semi-scary were like in the holding cell um so that was like sad (laughs) that i wasn't even scary enough to be worthy of an actual like holding area well so you're you it's almost like you're you're feeling um instant grief instant relief instant fear all of it at once yeah. and now you're like allowing yourself to let it out maybe. yeah so how long were you there before you made a phone call you remember i think i did i call you you're darn right well you called our okay so my roommate and i uh, i don't neither of us had a cell phone at this time oh God, this was a couple months before Jeez. i actually got my first ever cell phone and you called our apartment yeah and i was i was i was watching super troopers uh, I still haven't finished that movie, by the way. <laughs> well, maybe that's what we should do for a celebration I is know, finally finish Super Troopers. We should. So the phone rings. I go up, that little black cordless phone. I answer it. I go, hello? And he said, uh, Damon? I go, uh, no, this is Kevin. He goes, oh, he, you. You said, uh, yeah, I'm in some trouble here. Yeah. And then you you let me know what was going on. And then we, that gal and I, um, I think she had a car and we hopped in the car and came and got you. Yeah. Bailed you out and then so took sad. you home. And then the girl that you were, I think, going to pick up yeah, came right. over. I know. <laughs> uh, as you well know, in that house, we had this giant ashtray and I was a huge cigarette smoker then. So were you. <laughs> Poor Damon wasn't really. And I never emptied that fucking ashtray. <laughs> and we got you back to our apartment where we're waiting on the girl to come yeah. get you. And you're just you're you were definitely cognizant of what was going on, and you you were kind of going up and down, up and down as far as your mood goes, yeah. as I recall. Like one moment you're just kind of like, man, I don't know, and then you'd start to cry, yeah. and then at one point you got really excited and jumped up off the couch, and that ashtray went down, oh, no. and all the, just hundreds of cigarette butts into our beautiful, never washed carpet. Uh, and I remember going, ah, oh, shit, oh man. <laughs> And then you're like, I'm sorry about the ashtray. I was like, it's okay, man. It's okay. So you haven't had a drink since no. whatever that last beer was in, yeah. in Lewis Park. And yeah. and this as this comes out 16 days after the Salukis lost to the Illinois Street Redbirds. Yeah. Thank goodness that. Those jerks. Yeah, I know. God. Worst. Okay, so how did you let your family know? 
I called him the next day. Oh my god! I called him, and then my dad, who's actually my dad's been sober. So my my dad's had drinking problem, had a drinking problem, and my mom was like, l- literally, like not one foot out the door, but like two feet out the door, and the car had started, mm-hmm. and he and he was like, oh, I can change, and uh, he stopped drinking uh, when I was like two years old, and so and he's been sober now for like forty years, and um, he never like he would like he knew like I because he knew I had a drinking problem and like, he was like trying to get me to kind of like, you know, be like, Hey, like you got to do something about this, but he would never be like, Hey, like you're an alcoholic or like blah, 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 blah. Like, but then he like told me straight up, he like read me the riot act, but like in a really calm way, like he didn't yell at me. Like when I told him, this is what you're telling him that you, you yeah, had, a, you were arrested I, right, the yeah, night before. The okay. Day, got it. He was like, listen, this is what you need to do. Like you got to find a place to go try to like he's like i don't care where you go but try to find a place where you can get help for your drinking because this is too much because it wasn't just that it was you know it was a host of stuff i had stolen money from my parents like i had real just kind of dirtbag behavior and so they were kind of like at their last straw with me and um so he let me know that sunday which i guess would have been the 16th like Mm -hmm. you know you gotta like get this crap taken care of and uh the day before jordan's 40th birthday by the way there you go february yeah. 17th yeah. yeah and uh he would have turned 40, 40. yeah day. his 40th birthday um which is why i stopped drinking i wanted to make sure jordan could enjoy his 40s and yeah 50s. That, you know, that was how the main, magnanimous that you. was the main reason yes well um, at least we got the last dance <laughs> right yeah and um just uh but he was like I mean, like sternly supportive. I think when he saw the car after, remember, we went to go get the car out of mm-hmm, the pound mm-hmm. and then we brought it back. And I mean, I think all of us, I didn't realize what shape the car was in. Yeah. Like I saw the was car it, and I was like, yeah, yeah it was like, it was a totally, the I front end was like halfway in. Oh. And I was like, but it was still drivable. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, it, so I had this huge, but so the, the axles and the wheels were fine. But there was this like, huge dent like right in the middle of it and then to the side of it. And amazingly, it was still drivable. Was it a Toyota? It's a Toyota Camry. Yeah. And my dad drove it back. Uh, back up here he, to he the Chicago area? to the Chicago area. So did, when did he get down there? He got down there a couple days after. I, rem- I, didn't, see, I, um, I didn't see you the next day. I, I saw you like Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. In the green room, which is where we all hung out oh, and geez. stuff. But you came right up to me and you're smiling. The same green room where I met you when you were, when we both saw that we were cast in that one show. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, you came up to me and you immediately gave me the money yeah. that I had paid to to bail you out. Uh, and I. Which let's talk about how big of a deal okay. that is. That's a huge <laughs> fucking deal, man. Can I just tell John the John Dooley paying you back that quickly is a miracle. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a miracle. It got me right back into God again. <laughs> and uh, so the outside of uh, just a little sidetrack outside of the green room, there's like a door at, right out to a courtyard where there was an obelisk. And that's where we would all go out and smoke. And I don't know how many fucking times. <laughs> I'd be out there with you and you would say a couple things and you'd get real quiet and then you'd say, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes a man, he just, if you take him, what happens, 
could I have a dollar? <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, yeah, here you go. Yeah. And it's usually like to get a soda or some shit. Uh, but anyway, I honestly, when I bailed you out, and it wasn't like some sort of, ooh, go me. I was just like, yeah, I'm probably not going to see that again. So the fact that like two days later, like, here you go. I was like, really? Okay. And again, John Dooley, not a bad person at all. I'm not saying you're a bad person. You just tended to borrow money and maybe not repay it. Yeah, and I was really selfish. Like there was like, there, there's that side of it too. I was selfish, lack of perspective, no respect for other people's stuff, um, just not really fully aware. And throw alcohol onto all that and it just magnified my inability. I don't know if it's the fact that I was the youngest. I'm not going to blame, you know, some people were like, well, I'm a middle child and that's why, that's not what I'm saying. But like being the youngest of four and my parents really weren't home a lot when I was younger, I just... <laughs> I just didn't understand. I think I just didn't get some basic concepts of like living. Mm -hmm. And I went to college. I was 17. I was fairly young. And I just. That's right. October birthday. Yeah. And I just didn't. I just. Some people you, when you meet in college, you're like, oh, this person gets it. Like mm -hmm. they're really mature for their age. And then you just run into these other people where you're like, what? This is like a wolf. Like, what is this? <laughs> so wolf. And like, that's that's kind of how, how I was. Like, I was just kind of like, I just didn't get basic life concept so i needed something that was gonna like yeah help me like not drink but also kind of like give me like basic life crap so i could like learn to do basic stuff again like because or not again for the first time because i just didn't get i just wasn't a functioning like human forget about an adult like oh make this person like an adult i it really wasn't i just didn't do basic crap yeah, you, the, a lot of things that I, and I'm barely holding it together, but there were times when I'd be like, well, John, it's almost like, well, John, we put our shoes on now, you know, yeah, like, right. and, and again, it, I, I get that to a degree, um, but you, okay, so you said that your dad said, you know, you got to go someplace to get this under control, but you did not go to a facility, right? No, no, not the start. So I went to... Um, and this was only because, and I, I'm very specific about this now as the years have gone by, because there's so many different places you can get help now. It's not even like how it was in 2003 or 1983 or 1963, where like the choices were kind of limited for where you could go to get help. There's so many different places now where if you're listening to this and you're having an issue with alcohol or drugs, you know, you can, you can even Google stuff now and say, you know, how do I get help? And there's free numbers that you can call and they'll give you different resources. Some that are more like Christian based, you know, if you're Christian and you really want that faith based type of recovery, they have that. Mm -hmm. Then there's non-denominational, which is kind of the route that I went. And mm -hmm. then there's like some other newish stuff that's come out in the last 20 years or so. Is it Wiccan? No, 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 no. Okay. And then there's even some places because people, sometimes people don't know. And I know this isn't like some people don't like saying this, but there are some people who just, um, they're not like quote unquote alcoholics, but they want to get help for their drinking and they just want to kind of like, you know, get back to basics and get a little bit of help. Yeah. There's some, there's like some programs that help people that are like really kind of there for people who um, want to get help with like, you know, more controlled drinking. So there's all of these options that are available. Is it, do you think, now. do you think it would be possible when we release this maybe to put like at the bottom of the show notes, or is it more like kind of it, it's what works best for what you find? I think it works best for what people find. Gotcha. Okay. And that's, so that's why I say, so personally, I went to a 12 step uh, recovery program that was, that was beneficial for me. 
Um, and the reason why I don't, because I don't want to steer anybody in a, in a particular way. Right. So I want people to feel like, hey, pick your own path, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you works. And there's no group that has the monopoly on recovery. Um, so I went to those, the, I went to those 12 step meeting places because I thought that they gave me the best sense of relief at the time. And they gave me some basic tools to kind of move on. Tell with me my about life. the relief. So, well, wait, how, how soon after, so the 15th into the 16th, we're going to call it the 15th. Um, did you go to your first meeting on like 17th? It was the Monday. That Monday. Yeah. So Jordan's birthday. So yeah, it would have been the 17th. Yeah. So you said it provided you relief. Right. Uh, or, and tools. Can you talk about what, uh, what, what you mean by relief and what you mean by the tools that they gave you? Um, well, um, tools. Well, it's really interesting. I think the number one thing that, that if you go to, this is how if people are, are want to get help and they're looking like, how do I know if this is the right place? I think one of the, the ways that you'll find out is if you feel welcomed and if you feel like you belong there and if you feel like that's the case, then that sounds like a place where you should stay because that's the feeling that I got when I went to my first meeting. And so when I went to, when I went to these meetings, people would kind of share their story. Mm-hmm. And when I heard people kind of share their sense of loss or, and, and also their sh- sense of recovery, mm-hmm. I could feel their loss because that's what I was going through at the time. But then I also got a little bit of hope and from their feelings of recovery. And um, I got the sense that like they had all kind of been through that before. They had all kind of gone through the grind. So you didn't feel, you you felt, even though you felt alone, maybe walking in there, you're like, oh, okay, this, they understand what I'm thinking right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Was it a, a stereotypical kind of like church basement type place? Yeah, or? it was. Yeah. 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 And was there a lot of people there? Yeah, only recall? maybe like six or seven. Okay. There wasn't a ton. Is there like a leader? Uh, yeah, so there's like, like a, there's like some person who like starts off and there's like just a couple like things that they like read off a list of stuff. And then, um, and then if it's somebody's first time, you know, they say, which was mine. So then mm-hmm. I, you know, said it's my first time here. And um, you don't have to, some of the, some of the places that you go to, you don't have to pay anything. So I think people worry about that too. Like if I go to these meetings, if it be uh, AA or NA or, Oh, is it? There's like CA. There's like all sorts of A's. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to any of those places, they don't cost anything. Like you can just show up. Yeah, and, you didn't have to pay at that. Right. You? you don't have to yeah. pay. There's no membership fee. And you're you don't just, have to talk. You don't even have to talk. Right. You don't. You're not required to talk. And if anybody says that you do, they're not. You know, that's not okay. Like you're not required to say anything. You don't have to even admit anything. You don't have to be like my so name you can just is go there Joe and, and I'm an alcoholic. Right. right. You don't have to say that. You can just be like my name's Joe. And I just want help with my my drinking or my using mm-hmm. and, you know, share what's going on. And if it's a good supportive group, and I always tell people also, because every once in a blue moon, someone will go to a group and they're like, oh, it doesn't feel right. I don't know if I like these people as much or I don't feel comfortable. There's like so many different groups that you can go to online, which if you're at the place, they should have a directory that's there. Mm-hmm. Just grab the directory that's that's there or the web address now. It used to be a paper directory, but now it's you just go to the web address that they usually have posted on the walls there. And then just look for another one. Go to another, keep going to ones because you will find one where you'll eventually identify with the people where you'll feel comfortable. And there's different groups for people that are 
gay, lesbian, you know, bi, transgender, you know, more groups that are more uh, African-American based or, you know, anything you can think of um, uh, they, that they, they've actually, they have. And being closer to a big metro area, mm-hmm. I'm at a little bit more of an advantage. Like there's even like uh, a group that's like for atheist uh, people. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So like, you can go to like a more atheist focused one. So there's all sorts <laughs> of different groups that you can go to to kind of find whatever, you know. Thanks works. for coming, everyone. And as we all know, after we die, nothing. <laughs> all right. Now let's get to it. So, okay. <laughs> you said you, you heard the cuffs click and you're like, I'm done. Yeah. Did that resolve stay? The whole time? I mean, how how hard, how much were you tempted at first? And is that- Not at, not at first, because at first, you know, I was dealing with all that court crap. And oh, I knew right. that if I drank or if I drove when I drank, that I something dumb would happen. Because right. that's what was pretty much what the last couple of years had been, mm-hmm. was that if I was going to be involved with alcohol, something dumb was going to take place. So I knew like inherently that drinking was a bad idea uh, during that stretch, when the court stuff was over is when then I was like, I didn't have that hanging over my head. So I could be like, huh, well, I'm dealing with the court mess now. And they mandated me to go to like this outpatient rehab based on the reports that they had from the drinking. They're like, you need to go to an outpatient rehab place where they mandate you to go a couple times a week to what's essentially another- <laughs> Another meeting? <Is> it- <laughs> yeah, it's like another yeah. meeting, but like with more intense, it's like you've you have been- graduated to the more advanced <laughs> drinkers like uh they knight you and you know sent you to your advanced rehab oh, I was like nice. oh yeah yeah um sir john yes <laughs> exactly um and so when that was done i didn't have that hanging over my head with like lawyers or whatever there was that first tense and then remember it was that summer i got that internship in upstate new york so gosh that was that summer huh? right the lawyers were gone and then i'm in this internship and i'm 22 still and i'm around and it's summer theater may summer i summer theater buddy buddy boy around 30 people or like 35 people 17 you know yeah fairly attractive women that are you know partying mm-hmm. and i would buy crossword puzzles and like a carton of cigarettes and Gatorade and I would just sit in my room and I was like the old I was like the old guy because I was 22 and everybody else was like 20 and 21 you know how that is yeah I do and uh and do these crossword puzzles and one night they're all they all went to this bar and they all got really dressed up and they were like bye oh John you know the girls are stopping by why aren't you coming to the bar we really want you to go and I'm like I'm gonna shoot myself like I'm gonna I'm gonna flip in can I curse on here fuck yeah all right good you know, I'm going to fucking walk out of this place. I'm going to put a bullet through my fucking head. So I called my dad. I said, dad, I just need to vent. I'm 22 fucking years old. Why am I, what the fuck am I doing? This is the stupidest thing in the world. Everybody's going to this bar. It's a Saturday night. It's 75 degrees. It's absolutely beautiful outside. Yeah. What am I doing? I'm sitting in a fucking dorm room, smoking cigarettes and doing crossword puzzles. What did he say? Or what was his advice? He said, did you drink today? And I said, no. And he says, well, that sounds like a good day. And I don't know why that worked, but it did. Um, It just worked. 
I don't know. I got off the phone with him and I was like, that fucker. <laughs> I was like, he said two things and then I was like, all good. You know, I got a complicated relationship with my dad. And I know we've, we've talked about yeah, that a lot. Sure. Our complicated relationships with our dads who we love, you know, but they're, you know, I love my dad. Yeah. yeah. My dad's awesome. It's just that, you know, it, we're like almost too similar in a lot you of ways. You sure look alike and you get that weird, intense stare both I of know, you do. I know, I know, yeah. And you both somehow, I, I know that you also know all of the, the zip codes in this. Story. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. So, he knows, so that's where he got, he still does that where if you go, well, you told him Monticello, yeah, I think I go, he goes, oh, he 6019 goes, or whatever that zip goes, code is. 618. I go, Jesus. <laughs> but now I get John a lot better. Right. So my dad, for, for just for everybody to know, my dad worked for the post office for 25 years. So he had to memorize every zip code in Illinois. So any small town and like going to SIU, you run into people who went to really small towns and mm -hmm. be like, oh, he's not going to know this. And they'd go up to my dad and be like, after a show and be like, well, I'm from, you know, you know, whatever the hell it was. I'm from uh, Jonesboro. And he'd be like, 62903. You know, <laughs> he's just like Wapner. Wapner. Gotta watch Wapner. Yeah. Um, so, so he said that to you. And for whatever reason, that day, that was kind of a salve. And yeah. that, that kind of carried you through the rest of the summer? Yeah, but there's moments. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to talk Thank about- Thank you. I should have a podcast. <laughs> right. Because that's the toughest thing about early sobriety. Because I know there's people that might listen to this who are like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a stint right now where I'm, I'm, not, I'm not drinking or I'm not doing, you know, some of the- some other, it's not like an old man, some of the other drugs I'm doing. Um, maybe, you know, you stop doing something for a little bit and you're, you might feel a little off. Um, you know, there's these moments that come up. There was another one that happened that fall when I went back to do, uh, I did a Julius Caesar mini tour or whatever. And I went back there and it was homecoming at Cornell. And this time I wasn't at I wasn't staying at Ithaca College. I was staying at Cornell uh -huh. and I was on, Cornell's on this hill. It's very Ivy-ish, you know? And there was a dorm up on top of the hill. And I remember you walk down this hill and there's a couple sorority houses that are there. And this is another beautiful night. It's like Saturday in early October. And it just randomly happens to be really nice and not mm -hmm. cool at all. It's mm -hmm. like 70 degrees. I hear that Ithaca is gorgeous. Oh, there you go. Thank you. And there's like 15 girls walking right at me as I'm walking down. Or I'm walking up the hill back uh -huh. to where my apartment is. Uh -huh. And these girls like look at me and they're like, I know you. I know you. We know each other. And they kind of look up. One of them looked really familiar. And I'm like, God, you do look familiar. And they were like, you should come to our house. They're like, oh, my God. You're, you're, you should come over. We should hang out. It was like Satan had shown up and uh -huh. said, here we go. Here's one last challenge for you. Uh -huh. I'm going to send you 15 beautiful women from a sorority. They're going to surround you and ask you questions. And then they're going to demand that you go to their house on a Saturday night. It was like homecoming at Cornell or this something. Is, what is this, penthouse forum? Oh, this was terrible. This yeah. was the worst. I remember in my mind, I remember just saying, walk forward, walk, walk forward, walk, put one <laughs> foot in front of the other foot and walk forward and keep walking. And just think about the walking. Think about mm -hmm. the walking as you get to the apartment. You will walk, you will continue to walk. Your, arm, your legs will burn because you're walking uphill, but you will get to that apartment. You will get to your bed. You will lay down on your bed. You will go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And for that day, the best thing that I could do was get to bed, which is another thing I think a lot of people don't talk about. Some days, the best you can do is get to sleep and wake up the next morning with another chalk, uh, check mark next to your days of sobriety. Well, it's kind of 
I'm glad you said that because people who are dealing with, well, uh, anxiety or uh, in in your case, substance abuse, I think expect way too much of themselves sometimes. Yeah. And if you're able to give yourself a little grace and say, you know what? I walked past uh, that temptation. I got to my apartment. I'm laying in my bed. You know what? That's all I can do today. And kind of pair that with what your dad said. Did you drink today? No. Well, that sounds like a good day. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit too about this idea of, uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to misrepresent it, so please correct me. Um, in, I believe, the 12-step community, it's not like when you go in that you're like, I'm going to quit drinking forever. It's it's kind of continuously saying, I'm not going to drink today. Right. It's just, so it's you know, everybody has heard the the old saying, one day, one day at a time. Take her easy. Yeah. And all those little things that I thought my dad had invented, by the way. I went <laughs> I went into my first meeting, and there were all these shit my dad said that was on the walls. And I was like, what is how do they know? You're like, I thought denial was a river. In a <laughs> right? My dad, my dad had just taken a bunch of like sayings from these like AA, NA, you know, or Al-Anon meetings and like, which by the way, also another good thing, just as a sidebar, because I know some people listen to these because they have a loved one who's dealing with an issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Al-Anon's a really great place to go to, to learn how to accept your loved one's issues with substance Can abuse or alcoholism. spell that? I don't. Al-Anon is just A-L-A-N-O-N. Okay, and that's about being a family member right. of somebody who, right. who has- And pretty okay. much everybody in the universe qualifies for that one because right. everybody knows at least somebody who's like dealt with it at some point. Um, and it's even for people who have recovered because people are dealing with the aftermath of someone who just got sober and how to live with that person too, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. But um, what were we just talking about? We were, we were we were talking about the one day at a time. Oh yes, and, yes, yes. And and the idea that you don't—it's too overwhelming. I think is the to say, oh, I've been drinking all this time, and then now I'm just going to stop. Right. And as a matter of fact, very important points that I like to tell people, which mm-hmm. some people might think is weird, and actually some people do think it's weird. I've never said that I quit drinking. I stopped drinking. I I hated the. And the reason why I said I stopped is because I number one, I like to keep my options open. <laughs> number two, <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen. Number That's true. two, yeah. uh, number two, it's too much of a weight. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh, right. I quit drinking. Like, and then you start thinking about the rest of your life. You're like, God, what if I live till I'm fucking 80? I'm not gonna drink for another 40 fucking years. That's insane. That's nuts. That's that's fucking the lunacy. I love so, that you say stop instead of quit. Right. So I, I, I think that's a really good thing for people who are just stopping like, hey, I, I stopped and you are, I'm not, I'm just not drinking today uh-huh. um, because I'm trying to live a more healthy life. And I know that it's better for me today to not drink. And I think that putting it in that perspective, I think makes it much easier rather than the big weight of like, there was a girl who used to come, who I used to talk to this was years ago, um, so we went to meetings together. But we would talk outside after after meetings and smoke. And she used to always talk about how it was the battle between the addict mind and the sober mind, and that she was always battling for that one percent so that the sober mind would win, and that it would be fifty one to forty nine. She says, "I've been winning every day. I've been winning fifty one to forty nine every day for the last eight months." And I remember listening to her. I told her one day, I was like. I, you know, I don't mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but that sounds exhausting. Uh-huh. It sounds exhausting that you're going through that battle every single day. I was like, how about you just 
not have it be a battle. How about you just accept the fact that you're an al- like an alcoholic or an addict. You don't have control over your drinking or whenever you use drugs. And just accept the world that's around you and understand that the only way for you to be sober in this world is to accept the world that's around you as it is for all of its warts. That for me is a lot less of a weight than being like, oh, I got to. I got what they call it white knuckling. They say that a mm-hmm. lot. I'm going to hold on and, and, and I'm going to not drink and I'm going to see if I can get through these next couple of weeks, you know, which to be clear, and I am not a medical doctor, nor neither is my sister, uh, but I'm not a doctor, but there are real risks. If you are a heavy drinker and you yes. just stop like yes. real risks. And as a matter of fact, I'm glad you mentioned this. I don't know if I told you this in our yeah. last meeting, but a friend of mine from college yes. who recently passed, who tried to go off of drinking just cold turkey without medical assistance. Mm-hmm. And there was a real physical reaction that ultimately led to his death, unfortunately. And he was only 43. So yeah. uh, just just keep in mind if you're listening to this and you're looking for help and if you have a, like a true physical addiction, because I've had both. Um, I've had the physical addiction, what they call the physical addiction and the mental obsession. The mental obsession, always, that never left. 24-7, I mean, it's left now, but the mental obsession back in the day uh-huh. was real and every day. The Meaning physical, obsessing over alcohol. Yes, okay. constantly. Mm-hmm. The physical portion, I only dealt with a couple of times. There was Labor Day 2002, this is the Labor Day before I got sober, where I woke up and I was vibrating. I mean, I was like physically shaking. I could barely drive my car. I remember I stopped at, um, I don't want to drop name. People will be listening to this. Just at a friend's like, place? At a friend's place. Yeah. <laughs> but though, no, they're not bad people already. They're no, great no, no, people. No, no, But maybe they're but like- some of our yeah, old yeah. musical theater friends, yeah. randomly. I just stopped by their place and I was like, and I'm like telling them, I'm like, I can't stop shaking. And they were looking at me like, uh, okay, like that's not cool, dude. And like my dad, your whole body. Yes, I was like shaking because I had been. I drank for like I, for some reason I hadn't even thought about this. I had essentially been drinking for like twenty one straight days. I mean, drinking for twenty one straight days. Remember right when I showed up uh, that after that summer. Yeah, that was a party. Yeah. So I was train leave left the station twenty one straight days, and then I was like Labor Day. I remember saying to myself, I gotta like take a day off. Like this is insane. My body was like, you're not taking a day off. Where's the alcohol? And I was like physically uh, going through withdrawals. I remember my dad telling me, if you ever go through physical withdrawals, have some sugar because that will help. I had like two candy bars. I couldn't stop shaking. Like Uh it didn't matter. Did you at this by this point where you're like, this is definitely from alcohol? Yeah. Okay. Yes. 100%. And so I so I only bring that up because if someone's listening to this and they say, oh, I want to stop and you know that you're a heavy drinker, you might encounter that. And if you feel that, that's when you should probably go to a rehab center, like an actual center. And because they'll give you stuff to kind of help you wean off of it where your body's not going to go through like violent withdrawals. And seize. And then, right, yeah. yeah. So if you are a heavy drinker and, and you're looking to quit, I seek medical attention. I yeah. think it's the 100%. Yes. So that day, did you stop at their house because you thought they had alcohol or no. were you just, you just wanted to talk to somebody, somebody was there who oh. had stopped drinking before. And I went up to her mm-hmm. and was like, Hey, this isn't normal. And she was like, yeah, no, it's not. 
just kind of like, oh, there's nothing I can do about this, but I'm sorry. And I was like, <laughs> well, let me just sit here and watch. I forget even what it was. And um, I stayed with them for like the next couple of hours or whatever until my body finally calmed down. But um, did you drink that day? No, no, oh. I had to push through. I was drinking water. I, fi- I got myself through to the end of the day. And then that was one of the wake up calls where I remember when that happened, I was like, I need to take off a little bit. And so for a couple weeks after that, mm-hmm. I remember I only went out on the weekends because I was like, I got to like keep it to just the the old school, you yeah. know, Friday, Saturday. Week. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like a good That's person. fine. Right. But I, but then that lasted like two weeks and then I was, you know, you, yeah. Okay. So you go in, you, 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 um, I keep saying go in. I don't, sorry. You have the DUI. You decide to quit drinking. You start going to treatment. How long did you, did you ever feel like you were done with recovery? Is there a transition yes. period? Thank you for getting that. Yeah. Um, yeah, there is. There's a big transition period where you go through, they call it a pink cloud phase. Oh. You go into the rehab place where you're at. You're going to meetings. You feel great because at these rehab places, you're going to two to three meetings a day. You have no threat from the outside world. You're feeling great because you're at, if you're at the facility for a lot of people that go to inpatient rehab, I just went to outpatient, but I got, I got the same feeling because I was going to like a bunch of meetings and developing relationships. And then kind of the new thrill of being sober and like, you know, uh, actually having money, like not spending Uh, every mm -hmm. last dime you get your hands on. Mm -hmm. Um, you finally get to a point where it wears off. And you're like, okay, what now? I just like live my life. <laughs> so it's, it's no... almost like it, it, it comes back around. So you're scared to death when you first get sober, but then you get into that period where you're like, oh, this is great. Kind of like what I was asking earlier, right. but then that wears off. And then you're like, yes. well, I kind of want to go out. And there's emotional changes. The reason why it's easier, I think, for people who, are, who just get sober to keep going to meetings is because they're dealing with the emotional upheaval of getting sober. And what I mean by that is... You don't just get sober and everything's fine. You go through these huge highs and then you go through these really low lows because your body's physically getting used to not having alcohol as that like thing that you can reach to, to deal with whatever you're dealing with or to celebrate whatever you want to celebrate. So it's not even the bad times. It's also the good times. And then slowly over time, the the wave, the ups and the downs start to even out Mm -hmm. and you physically and mentally start to even out. And then you're just another person in the world. And it's like learning to accept that this is just life and how do I just accept life on life's terms? Well, kind of what you said to the friend that you made at the meetings, like you said something like you just need to accept, have you tried accepting the world warts and all? I mean, I was just sitting here thinking, God damn, that sounds nice. Yeah. I mean, how- It's not easy. No, it's not. It's not. And I imagine it's still a, I think it's a process for everyone. Right. Which is- why I continue to go to those meetings. I don't go like I used to. I used to go like every single day. Now I just go maybe like once a week or mm-hmm. sometimes unfortunately once every other week. Um, but I have to, it's almost like number one, it's like a check-in, just a good reminder. But then number two, it's like, I'll get through these moments where I'll be reading the news or I'll be dealing with some sort of BS family thing or, mm-hmm. you know, and I just need... I just need someone to talk to, or I just need a reminder of like what's important. I I don't know. The news isn't sad. Yeah, I know. It's not stressful at all. I know. 
I know. And, and that's, you, yeah. are you a sponsor for people? Yes, I have been. Not Good. currently, but I have I have before. And, and it sounds like your dad was kind of your first sponsor. You're, he's who you called when you yeah, were in a little bit. Summer yeah, theater. he wasn't technically my first sponsor. Um, you know, my I had a couple. They say when you first get sober, don't like move. I didn't have a choice. Like I was going to upstate New York for that internship. Yeah. And I was going to the Twin Cities for another theater I was working for. And you graduated college. And I finished college amazingly. Yeah. And I'm bouncing between all of these places. And I didn't have a choice. So I had to get kind of like a new sponsor, which with every new place I went into. Uh-huh. And I had one person in Ithaca and I had one person, uh, a people, a group that I would talk to in the Twin Cities. And then I had some people at home. So my dad was kind of the constant if things ever got, he was like my my last call. Like mm-hmm. I would go to him last to kind of be like, okay, I've tried everything else that doesn't work. What do you have for me? And, um, but yeah, he's helped. He's helped out. He helped out a lot in those first couple of years. Because man, you, uh, another thing that we brought up earlier is like, well, I'm going home on Thanksgiving. Of course I'm going to drink. I mean, you, it sounds like moving around, Summer theater, summer theater, which again, summer theater is just alcohol with a bad paycheck. That's all it is. Yeah. And so to be around that and then to go and then you're far away from home in upstate New York yeah. at, at in Ithaca and, and have that and then go to the Twin Cities. How did you have to change uh, parts of your life or you just didn't have a choice? So my advantage was I got thrown into the fire very quickly. I had to do all the things that they say don't do. They usually say uh, a lot of recovery people are like, don't move anywhere for a year um, because people will will do the geographic, they call it the geographical solution where they're like, I'm feeling some little bit of emotional upheaval, but I'm not doing drugs anymore. So let me move to Tallahassee because that's going to solve all my problems. Um, <laughs> could be, people do that, that you laugh, but it's like a real that's thing. That's what happened to Bobby Bowden. Right, right. So, but that's a real thing. People do that. They don't have the drugs anymore. So they're like, well, if I'll just move here, then I'll be fine. I'll be emotionally yeah, okay f- when I go you here. You have to find it, right? But wherever you, you go, it. right. Wherever, yeah. that, there's another saying, wherever you go, uh-huh. there you are. Wherever you Ooh, go, I've never heard that one. there you are. So if you take whatever version of yourself mm-hmm. to some other place, you're going to find yourself in that new place. Doesn't matter. The, the settings might be different, but whoever's inside of you is still going to be the same person. Did, so- but I, just to get to finish yeah, please, what I was saying earlier please. about the the changing of the places, I drank in the summer of 02 in the, in the Twin Cities. I had to go back to a place where I had caused a – It's I know it's very tough for you to believe that I could have possibly caused more havoc in another pl- – I mean, I didn't I make it sound like I'm like some like yeah, dragon or something. Yeah, I was going to say, I, it's not havoc. Right. Uh, just a little bit of like – It was just kind of – can I tell one little story? I go uh, – yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the brushing of the teeth? Yeah. No, I just mimicked that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no. Well, we can cut this out. If I'll tell the story if you don't yeah. want it in here. So you were staying with us. Oh, no. And we had playwriting. And you decided to skip. This is a 9 a.m. class. Oh, you decided to skip. So Damon and I went up to campus, up to the comm building. And we came back, and you had been drinking. And... We were like, how you doing, Dooley? Blah, 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 blah. Talking to you. And, you're like, and then you just out of nowhere went, I used one of your toothbrushes. And we're both like, what? Well, which one? I don't know. One of them. And we're like, you used one of our toothbrushes? And you're like, yeah, yeah. It's a, one of those in there. And then you're like, turn back towards the TV. And I'm like, 
And so we just both went in there and just picked up our toothbrushes and dropped them in the trash because <laughs> we didn't know which ones you'd use. <laughs> You, I don't know if you want to cut that yeah, or not. No, but. no, no. Keep it. Okay. We're going to keep that in there. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid. Oh, my God. Hey, man. At least you were brushing your teeth. You I write exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. What an. Oh. So, yeah. This, I'm trying to find out what the word is. Yeah. Havoc's a little too heavy. It was just like just stupidity, I guess is maybe the word. I had created even more stupidity up in the Twin Cities. And with my poor, poor friend, Alex, who you remember from my wedding. Of who's, course. Yeah. Alex yeah. is great. And um, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> They watched, they came, him and three people came out and they watched me leave when I was driving from the Twin Cities to Carbondale in the summer of 2000 to make sure I left. I remember looking in my rear view mirror and they were all watching me at seven in the morning being like, please be gone. Please make sure this guy's gone. Wait, now what, what brought you to the Twin Cities again? Uh, we were doing Creon's, we were doing uh, Antigone's. No, Antigone with Brex Creon. Antigone. Brex Antigone, okay. So I was there doing that for the Fringe Festival and- um, <laughs> Please be gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were just done. They were so done with me. And there's great, now it's funny and we have all these great stories. But so I brought that up because I had to go back there to work for a theater that Alex was helping with. And so you go back and you see all these old places where you have all these, you know, drinking memories with. And that's why people- say, you know, find a safe space where you can kind of recover. I didn't have that option. I had to go back to these places and face every place that I had been where, you know, I ran away from a bouncer or like, you know, just uh -huh. the dumbest crap. Or I was really lurchy with some girl, you know, and made her feel uncomfortable. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, God, why was I like that? What the heck was wrong with me? And then you have to run into the person and they're just thankful that you're not drinking anymore. So they don't have to be terrified of you. Um, but like, wow. Yeah. I mean, just bad, just like crap stuff How'd that you, you have to I, face. So you're just going to meetings every day then. Wherever yeah. You were. So wherever I went, that's another thing for people who are just getting sober. Whatever program you're in or whatever you choose to do, it's important to go to meetings in that new space. Uh, this is big, I think, for people who are in their around our age who wanted to do something about their drinking, but they've actually been able to do fairly decently well with their professional career. Like they've been able to kind of, you know, do okay. They're on business trips. And oh, what do yeah. you do when you go on a mm -hmm. business trip and you're going to uptown like Nashville or Austin where it's mm -hmm. like drinking's just a part of the vibe there. And you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's go out and, you know, create some fun. You know, find a place that you can go to right when you're in town there to establish you know, that's what I would do. I did that for years. I did that, honestly, Kevin, for like 10 years, where if I was going to go on a vacation, I would go to a meeting the day before. And then when I went to the location, I would go to a, a meeting when I was at the location to kind of establish my- This, this comes with me, because as you said, wherever you go, there you are. Right. Yeah. Right. Bringing that feeling of sobriety to it, because, um, you know, I just don't know where things are going to go. Also being newer in sobriety, when you have to go to a wedding, there's some things you can't choose. Like you're going to go to a wedding and people are going to drink. What's your exit strategy? Do you have mm -hmm. people that you can call in case if you run into, into trouble or someone who can pick you up if you feel like you're being pressured to do something that you don't want to do? You know, there's all things that I did for a while to like, there was people I didn't contact. There was a certain group of people that you don't know that mm -hmm. I was friends with at Southern that... I cut out of my life because I only had drinking memories with them. They, their only uh, relationship to me was through 
drinking. So I had to not see them because they were a trigger for me. I would see them and just the feeling or the vibe, the picture of them would get me thinking like, oh yeah, these are the people that I, I run with. So did, did you find too, you, you mentioned this, did people say, oh, come on, Dooley, get the old Dooley back. And, you know, let's... Yeah, there's a little bit of that because yeah. that happens with people. They're like, oh, you know, I brought it up the, the, and I'm not going to name names, but maybe if they hear this interview, they'll go, oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. There's people who have known me for a long time who even within the last two to three years were like, well, you know, I don't know why. That's kind of weird that like you don't drink. And I'm like, here's the thing, man. I'm 42 fucking years old. I'm an adult. I made my choice. Obviously, if I haven't drank for 20 fucking years, it's because it's a real decision that I made for, my, for myself and it's a part of my life. And I would hope if you're a real friend mm -hmm. that you would respect that decision. And the same way that I'm going to respect yours if you want to have a drink. You know, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, you can't have that around me. Like, I'm not like that. So um, I just, I, I don't know. I That that kind of bothers me sometimes. And recently, I hate, I kind of got, a, how do, I don't know how I got on this tangent, but like. Well, I was just asking about people saying to you, hey, come on, where's the old John? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah there was a little bit of that at times. I ran on to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to mention him because I'm going to mention him because I'll use Goforth's name. Like Goforth kind of knew, but like didn't. Can I say his name? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm using it now. Yeah. Right. Well, you no, just I just ran twice. into him on. I just ran him. I just ran into him on the strip. This is like really early on, uh -huh. and he was like, he had no clue. This was like three weeks. You know, like the weather gets really nice down there. Mm -hmm. Like you get this a nice a random nice March day happens. Yeah. And it was like, what the hell were you doing on the strip? I was just, just taking I was a getting walk? smokes at Old Town. Oh, sure. And like you know. And yeah. so I would do things like that. I could go into a liquor store, get cigarettes and go out and not, and not. So I was mm -hmm. like, cool with that. Walking down, I ran into go, you know, that's how I used to be. I would randomly run into go forth. And then he would be like, you know, Hey, you know, let's go here. And I remember I, remember I was standing, I was across and I was like, ah, uh, ah. Uh, and then I finally told him, I was like, here's what happened. I don't know if you heard. And I told him the whole story and he was like, oh shit shit i didn't i didn't i'm sorry he like totally didn't know that he felt terrible that he was like trying to egg me on to yeah. go to sidetracks i was like no 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 it's Fucking all me sidetracks <laughs> i was like that was my fault that was not yours i should have told you right from the start and uh <laughs> but like yeah people will come up and try you know uh if sometimes people don't know you know didn't know at the time so i'm sure someone who just recently got sober would have someone come up to them and not know or God, like I hey you're not as much fun anymore the, the most important thing is to, and the reason why people, it's important for people, especially early in sobriety to keep going to meetings is to remind yourself of like why you go there. Like, yeah, for all of the amazing times that we had, we had some amazing times. Oh, buddy. You know, yeah. great times. Yeah. There, the bad stuff was too bad. Yeah. It was like too bad for me that overweighed the good. So cost benefit analysis. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of like what, what you're doing. And, um, I think, I think a, a great example though, of what you're saying, if I may, yeah. Were, did I interrupt your thought? No, no. A great example is, uh, about six years ago, five years ago now, really, um, you threw a Christmas party <laughs> and you had a punch. Yeah. And you know, at this point, so this was 2017. So you would have been sober for 14 and a half, almost 15 years. And me and a mutual friend of ours came and <laughs> so you have this punch and, you know, usually at these parties, the punch has liquor in it. Right. Yeah. And, and so our friend 
we just assumed that you hadn't put any liquor in it because you're sober. Well, I our friend brought more liquor and was just dumping it in the punch. And then I think somebody walked in and goes, what are you doing? And he's like, what? Oh, I'm just getting some liquor. In. And they're like, there's already a ton of liquor in there. And he's like, oh, <laughs> but he'd already had like three drinks. Anyway, the, the point being is like, you're not telling people don't drink around me. Like you were at that and you provided that yeah. that punch. But we just assumed, oh, it's not going to have any liquor. Yeah. So it's I know. And I do that a lot now where I'm like, if we ever have, a, if I ever have a get together, I'm like, I feel bad for all the years that I like, if I, especially if I'm around someone who, where I know where I took from them a lot, I'm like, I'm going to buy, like, I'm going to get, although now everybody's going to hear this and be like, I'm going to call Dooley so you can take call me out. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> right. So I, you know, I feel bad for the, the stuff that I took from people. So I'm like, you know what? I should get you a picture. Like, you know, yeah. I just feel, you know, I, 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 so I want to be able to provide for people, but that took me a long time to get to that point. That's where you me were comfortable doing that. Comfortable. Yeah. Being around it. Yeah. Where it was probably a couple of years for some people. They don't do it. My dad was like, my dad didn't have alcohol in the house till I was like 12. So he had been sober for like 10 years. He wouldn't, you couldn't bring alcohol over to like our barbecues or anything. He was really strict about it. Because he was just, it was too much of a temptation. He didn't want it. Yeah, he didn't want it around. And finally he let my step grandpa Bob to bring his Budweiser to a, like my 12th birthday party or whatever that was. It was like, <laughs> finally, finally Bob could show up. I was like, why isn't, that's weird. Bob's here. And then I realized like, oh, he finally let Bob bring my step grandpa. Also had a drink. I have nothing but drinking problems around my family with the men. It's insane. It's like a hall of fame. It really is. It's you a, hall start of fame. a hall of fame. <laughs> I should. I tell people I'm the Gale Sayers of drinking. I had like six really good years. It was just like a flash in the pan. <laughs> and then someone cut my knees out from under me and I just was never the same. <laughs> I, I view myself as Gale like, Sayers of drinking. <laughs> oh, man. I scored six, my six touchdowns in the mud against the Niners in 1965 uh -huh. is like, my uh, performance in Champagne in 99 on December 30th when I, uh, that's another story. That's oh, another buddy, I, I was, um, I was right down the street from you there. Oh, that's my man. senior year of high school. Oh, wow. That is another podcast. I want to say one other thing too about going to bars. You and I went to a bar uh, in 2015. We were going to get standing room only tickets to Wrigley, but we went to Goose Island down the street. And it was the first time we had watched a Cubs oh, game together God. in like 11 years oh, or something. Yeah. Yes. And, and I'm like, oh, Dooley's at a bar. I'm having some beer. Dooley seems fine. This is great. And then the fucking Cubs got no hit. I know. Cole Hamels. Oh, wound up then being a Cub later on. Yeah. And that, that was Jake Arrieta's last quote unquote bad game before he went on that crazy one year insanity. Oh my God. Yeah. And of course. That, one, that was the end of it. That was really, the, they took off after that game. Yes, they did. They did. Well, I'm glad that we were. We had to share that together. I know, terrible. And the only no-hitter they've had in the last 50 years that's been thrown against them. Yeah, it was like or 55 years, or uh, yeah, something Yeah, Sandy like Koufax was yeah. like the last guy. So 60s then. Sandy, oh God. Sandy yeah, he was the last so guy to throw. Good. That's how long it had been. Wow. But um, I also, I, uh, we bring up all these stories and like fun about like drinking and stuff, which is, whenever you talk about these things, it always leans into then some of these other fun stories, which then I wonder, I'm like, God, is this a trigger for someone who's like listening to it? And they're like, yeah, oh, that sounds great. I mean, to be clear, I, I brought that up because that was a time where we could be in a bar oh, yeah, together yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it would be fine. Yeah. So what, what would you say though, kind of as a closing message to somebody either who is thinking about getting help 
or has just started getting help or even somebody a little further down the line like yourself? Well, if you're thinking of getting help, um, I, I know there can feel like a pressure um, for trying to find the right thing. I think the most important thing to do is just make a decision. So just whatever decision that is to get help, just get help. You'll figure out everything else later. Anything that involves, I know, especially in today's medical industry, when you're dealing with like money and how is this going to get funded or what, what am I going to do? The most important thing is for you to get help and for you to get better. That's what your family wants. That's what in the end that you'll want. So find any which way to do it. And there's a lot of 12-step programs that are free that you actually don't have to pay anything for. So uh, try to find some of those. Um, and then for those of you who have just recently, or maybe you, you're listening to this and you're early on, um, never underestimate, I would say don't underestimate the relationships that you develop early on in sobriety. So what I mean by that is whatever meeting place you're going to, mm -hmm. um, it's important to develop relationships and to continue going to these places, like continue to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Um, continue to don't take it easy. Don't think like, well, you know, I feel okay. So maybe I can take some time off or maybe I don't need to, you want to you want to develop that and understand that life changes. Like your responsibilities are going to change. Now that you're clean and sober, you might find that you're sticking with a job longer than you did before, or you got a promotion and that never seemed to happen before. And now you've got all these responsibilities. And this is something that happens a lot. People get the responsibilities, their life gets good. And then they just completely forget about how they got there. They're just like, Hey, I got it now. And then they, they don't go to and then, meetings. And, and then, then they, they say, I can handle it now. Maybe. Right. Yeah. I, I ran into a guy. I got so many stories like this and I, I know we're running up on time, but I had a guy who was 26 got sober, was at an inpatient rehab. Um, after he got sober for like six months, got a really good job, started making good money, was working in sales, went to meetings fairly regularly. After about a year, he's like, I'm gonna go to graduate school. And he decided to go full-time into, into grad school. And when he went full-time into grad school, that's when his like meetings totally dropped. And then it was like non-existent, we didn't see him. And then within like three months, he was like, feeling the pressure from school, mm -hmm. he started, his big drug was cocaine. And so he was back on that again. And then that always, it's different for everybody. The cocaine led to the drinking. And then he was like gone within like three months. He was dead within Did like he, three months oh, from the he, time. Oh, he died? Yes, yeah. Oh, um, Jesus. I mean, it was just like, boom. And so I bring that up to people to be like, it, it never ends. Like. We have to make sure we're still taking care of ourselves and to not take these things lightly um, because things can turn really quick. And also another great thing about these meetings is that they're really great places just for like therapy. I mean, they're places you can go to just share stuff mm -hmm. and get stuff off your chest. Without judgment, I imagine. Without judgment, mm -hmm. right? Because everybody's dealing with their own thing and... Um, you know, it's just, it's just important to keep those bonds and to stay sober and, um, and yeah, you know, that's, I think the most important thing, things change. It's not, it's not like the early days when you first get sober and everything's like, oh, it's this new life and everything's great. Once time goes on, it starts to feel like, oh, 
this is it. This is, is just life now. Like I'm just going to be dealing with life. And yeah, that's like what it is. You have to find areas for gratitude and find areas for um, uh, peace and make sure that those are prevalent in your life. You know, with, with, with however, however you do that, that's through a hike, through going to church or whatever you find that gives you peace, making sure that you make those things pre- prevalent in your life. That's kind of like my, I feel like I just gave like a big commercial for. No, know, that's stuff. good. The, yeah. You, um, I think it, I think it's really insightful and, um, I think, uh, it, it is a good thing for people to hear whether they're one day sober, one hour sober, or one, you know, 50 years sober or whatever it may be just a reminder. And, uh, you know, a moment ago, I was trying to get Brent to bring me a diet Mountain Dew, which I don't even fucking drink, but I was going <laughs> to open it for you on your, for your 20th anniversary, but all joking aside, I, and I fucking hate diet Mountain Dew. That's not a joke. Um, so I was going to give it back to Brent. I wasn't even going to drink it. Anyway, all joking aside, 20 years uh, is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And thank you for coming on and telling your story uh, this so many years later. And uh, I really, really appreciate it. Your your forthrightness, your honesty and everything. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You betcha. And uh, to everybody else out there who's listening, um, thank you so much uh, for listening. And uh, something I try to remind myself of and I guess remind everyone is, uh, you know, there's always room for kindness and grace. And that is especially important when it is ourselves. Um, And I forget it every day and try to remember that, I suppose. And, um, you know, thank you so much to John. And uh, we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.